Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We're starting this uh, new series. They're going to work that out. We got the best tech team in the world because I never came in for a sound check, so it's on me, not them. So uh, if you ever want to know who pulls it all off, it's Bob, Kaylee, and Chuck. They are awesome. But uh, the, the video, you saw the sermon uh, bumper, we call it. It's today's series that we begin is it's all about control and who is really in control. And we're going to look at this idea today of the battle of the will. If you have ever had a child or been a child, and I think that covers everybody in the room, you understand the battle of the will. Because when we go to God, there is a battle of our will, just like a parent would have a will struggle with the child, or the child would have a struggle with their own will to the parent. Many of you were trying to uh, get out the words, you know, it is well with my soul, but the reality is, man, you're trying to sing that truth, but maybe, maybe your, your soul is really not all that well. And today, I want to look at the way that we make a perspective shift and a focus on God that truly changes our heart, truly changes our will to where we can come to that resolve and at any moment in time, we can tell God it is well with my soul. The author of that very song, he experienced major, uh, the most tragedy one can ever experience with the death of his family. And, and he wrote those words out of that experience, which is very difficult for me to comprehend. But it was a moment of resolve and a moment of a sheer change in perspective that he was able to proclaim to God, it is well with my soul. In 2020, uh, the Google search terms took a shift. Uh, in 2020, the most Google search terms began with the word why than ever before. Why is this happening? You know, why is this going on? And so as, as Google, they kind of chronicle all those search terms. It really does reflect who we are, you know, as a people. And we have spent about a year asking the question, why? And when you ask the question, why, it, it bleeds out into our own will because we want to, to understand what is going on. And to be honest with you, this is not my will, is often what we are telling the world. We are telling our family. We are telling God. And it is not well with my soul because my will wants something totally different. Today, when we look at the battle of our will, I want to go back to that age-old question. And if you grew up in church, you know this question. And it simply is this, God what is your will for my life? And I want to take that question today and I want to transform it and put it under a new perspective. That when we're asking God his will for our life, that we would reconcile our relationship with God and that question. And there's a great passage in scripture that does uh, just that. And so it's a tension 
that we want to resolve that whole idea between our will and God's will. Because in, in reality, we are encouraged, commanded to surrender our will to God. And, and that is awesome, but sometimes it's only awesome in the context of this room of surrendering our will. Because all of a sudden when we go home, we get in our car and we think about surrendering our will. Well, that doesn't sound so good anymore. You know, I, I'm kind of tied to my will. You know, I, I kind of like my will. But the idea of surrendering it comes to relationship with God. And you have to have complete trust in the one that you surrender your will to. Let's pray and we'll dig in. Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray that you would use my words uh, to not be my own words, but to be yours. I pray that your message, your clarity, your, your word, Lord, would just rest on our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would take everything that I would say and just transfer it up and may it be a message uh, from you. And Father, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I also did a little bit of Googling, and I thought I'd Google. I first started with, you know, what is God's will for my life? That didn't give me any good results that I was too happy with. And I landed on a search term is, what does a good Christian do? And when I Googled that term, WikiHow gave me some good advice. Okay? You familiar with WikiHow? You know, when you ask a question on the Internet and then you get the, the you know, here's five steps with pictures. And so believe it or not, the way to be a good Christian is clearly outlined on WikiHow. So I gave you the pictures. I hope, I hope they made it. But uh, I want to give you the five steps. Now, here's the best part of this. And this is a reflection of our world and our culture. Okay, The first five steps are method one. There is a method two, according to WikiHow. Method one, and this will make sense in a second, is how to live a good Christian life. Method one is having a close relationship with God. I want to be clear about something. All five of these steps are good and okay. But if you're about to tune in and write down five steps to be with close with God, someone stop whoever is writing that down, okay? But, so the first five steps are, number one, and, and we see the dude praying, uh, five steps with pictures, uh, ask Jesus into your life. And truly, I, I do want to stop there because every Sunday we do our best to point back to Jesus because this is about the only thing where WikiHow got it right. Okay, step one in anything we do is submitting, giving your life to Jesus Christ. And so, small commercial, if you've never done that, man, don't let another day go by. Uh, I'm going to be here afterwards. Uh, Claiborne is here. We've got uh, uh, Jesse's on vacation, but he'll be back. You got his text number, text him. But, I mean, settle that in your life. There, there isn't a different pathway. And so you can't listen to enough, you know, talks or series to, to settle that one issue in your life. And so I would beg you, if you're uncomfortable hearing me talk about that, it raises your heart rate a little bit, it makes you uncomfortable, and you're feeling a bit of unpeace, 
settle it. Come talk to somebody and let God give you that peace. And so, but according to WikiHow, step one is ask Jesus in your life, and it got it right. Step two is confess your sins to God. Step three, strengthen your bond with God by praying consistently. Step four, read your Bible. And step five, join a group of like-minded followers for fellowship and worship. Method two. Okay, so method one, according to WikiHow, is having a close relationship with God. Method two is following God's commands. Step one, avoid the temptation to sin. Step two, I can't figure out the picture, but it is treat others with love, charity, and forgiveness. So maybe, maybe that's a help. I'd, I'd stop there. If you're not in a group, you know, that meets together, come see us. You know, that, that's where community happens. But, but when those become the answer to peace in your life, in reality, that is very emotionally dissatisfying. And I'm just being honest with you up here. If I go to somebody and I need help and I got a lot going on in my life and I'm... I'm in a bad way, and I, I can't tell God it is well with my soul, if I go to somebody and they say, you know what you need to do? You need to read your whole Bible, you need to pray a lot, and then, you know, don't be materialistic. That, that doesn't do it for me. It becomes a set of rules and a set, a set of processes. And, and here's what I want to show you. If, if you look at it, the reason why WikiHow got it wrong is because they came up with two methods. Did you catch what they were? Having a close relationship with God and following God's commands. The world cannot reconcile the two. And unfortunately, many times in the church, we can't reconcile the two either. And so it becomes a, you either do this or you do this. You, know, you either have a relationship with God and you work that out or you follow the commands of God, and you work that out. And I'm here to tell you, that is a big clash, because it's missing the very fundamental of the relationship we have with God. And so, as WikiHow gives us those two steps, you almost see, or I definitely see, the conflict that they're having and even given the answer to the question, how do I be a good Christian, which is a terrible question to start with, but then to give two options, one is a relationship and one is to follow commands, just shows that th there is tension there, there is conflict there, but there is a fundamental fact of our relationship with God that we have to understand that'll propel us forward to where these good things that WikiHow even mentions, they, they stop being a list and they become a pattern and just, just an overflow of the relationship. You will not hear a lot of sports stories from me. 
And I'm not going to tell you why, but you can probably guess why. You know, I was the guy on the fence just praying to dear God that someone without legs would be picked before me, you know, or not picked before me. You know, and, and I'm, you know, the last guy against the fence being picked. When I would go play football with my friends in elementary school, we lived in the neighborhood, like, like go Google Earth it, the neighborhoods that are just boom, 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 house, 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 house. Like there is not a neighborhood like that in Magnolia, no matter how small you think your yard is. But where I lived, the yards were just all very tight. And there was this one street that nobody had fences. It was about in the middle of my street. There was one section of houses. Nobody had back fences and that. And so that was our only place where we could play football. And we had about the length of maybe the width of this room. It was about four houses together, and they didn't have fences. Well, I didn't understand the fundamentally, the fundamental goal of football. Okay, so here's what I understood as the fundamental goal of football. I thought the fundamental goal was just to get a touch down, which not a bad goal. I mean, that is kind of it. But the problem is that goal was the only thing I knew. That was the only fundamental I had. And so that's how I operated every play. And so when I would get the ball, which wasn't that often, but when I would get the ball, I would run and I'd make a few yards or a few, you know, sidewalks or whatever it is. But the moment I'm about to go down, the moment someone is catching up to me, the moment I'm about to get hurt, guess what I would do? I would throw that ball. Okay. No, wait. In my mind, I passed the ball. But all my friends would tell me that is just throwing the ball away. But I would pass the ball. Now, think about it. You can figure out on your own. Why would I pass the ball? Because fundamentally, I thought the goal of every play was to get a touchdown. And so to fall down with the ball was failure. And so as a result, operating out of that false fundamental, I would end up trashing the game and my team wouldn't win because I didn't understand the basics of the game going forward. And so I'd mess up every play. And so it comes down, if you're a football fan or not a football fan, you've probably heard of Vince Lombardi, a lot of illustrations, a lot of sermon illustrations have gone on that, but he gives the great fundamental speech, goes before his team and says, this is a football. And if you're a sports guy, you know it, you can probably quote it, you can probably share it right now and stand up and please don't. But, but it's, it's famous because he goes back to a professional team and he says this, you have gotten way far away from, from what really matters. And what's really cool, and I like passages like this in scripture, Colossians chapter 3 gives us those basics for the relationship. Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, and it's verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Paul is talking here. He writes the letter to the church in, uh, hold on a second, lost my stuff. So he's talking to us as believers, and he says this, verses 1 through 4. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, 
where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Here's my guess. I would guess that 90% of you, like me, when you read this, you miss the true fundamental of what Paul is saying. Because many of you, the only thing you heard was set your sights high, think about heaven, and pray all the time. But you know what happens when you only grab those three things out of this passage? You miss the very fundamental of what Paul is trying to tell us. You missed out on the things, and you made a wikiHow list is what you did. And it's not about a list. It's about a thing. Let me show you what we all miss, because we miss a fundamental truth. Let me go through it just a little bit slower. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights high Set your, some translations say high. This one just says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Here, here is the, the fundamental action that is being said there is set your sights on heaven. And he says, the realities of heaven. What he is saying to do is make a shift in your focus. Make a shift in your focus. And it's not denying the own reality that we are in. And think of you know, the, the worst time perhaps in your life when you're trying to lean on God. And I think of the author of that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, as he has lost his family. At what point can he write a hymn that is titled, It Is Well With My Soul? He can only do that when he shifts his focus off of himself and onto the realities of heaven. And so he's, he's made a perspective change of this life and the realities of heaven. But it's more than that. It's a lot more than that. In verse 3, he says this. He says, for you died to this life. You died to this life. Remember Lazarus? When I was a kid, we were always challenged to memorize, you know, verses in the Bible. And so my go-to was the shortest one in Scripture. Do you know what that one is? Jesus wept. It's been too long. I can't remember the passage, though, now. I don't know if y'all can. But, uh, but, but Jesus went to Lazarus, and if you remember the story, he had heard that he had died. And Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and Jesus wept because of the death of Lazarus. And he went, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. But I want you to think about Lazarus. We never really talk about his life after being raised from the dead. He had a brand new perspective about Christ. I mean, not much mattered anymore. You get raised from the dead, you have a new perspective perspective. In fact, it says in Scripture that, that they actually, the, the people who were against Jesus became against him because more people were, were starting to believe, and, and they plotted now to not only kill Jesus, but to kill Lazarus. What do you think Lazarus's attitude was? Hey, 
Been there, done that, doesn't matter. You know, pretty sure I saw light at the end of the tunnel when I was gone anyway. It's a new perspective. It's, it's seeing God in the place of where he is, seeing God in the power that he has. But he goes on. Uh, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, the next eight words are going to be the most powerful. I want you to look closely. Colossians 3, 4. It says, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. This is the fundamental. Don't miss it. Tune back in with me right now. Paul could have simply said this. He could have said, when Christ is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Because that's how most of us operate. Most of us operate that, you know what? When Christ is revealed to the world, we'll share in his glory. And so that becomes a future thing that we will do, but really doesn't affect me right now. But Paul didn't leave that out. He didn't just say when Christ is revealed to the whole world, he qualified it. He said this, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. And so I don't want to minimize the question of God, what is your will for my life? Or God, what should I do with my life? But I think God's first response is, What are you talking about? I am your life. And I don't want to oversimplify it. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to oversimplify it. But when God seems silent, most often he has actually already spoken. And and, and we've kind of nudged it off to the side. And so when our, when our prayers are, are hitting the ceiling, it seems, oftentimes God has already spoke and given the answer. But for some reason, we are still battling our will and his will, our will and his will. And what God says is, I want you to surrender your will to mine. Our big idea for today is this, life is better when God is in control. Life is better when God is in control. And the way we do that is we surrender our will to his and then a sheer recognition that our life is his life. And again, don't let me minimize the troubles that come in our life. Jesus never promised a easy life. It just wasn't given. And that's why I was so fired up when Claiborne and the crew sung that song, because you saw a guy that reached a resolve to be able to pin those words in song that we're singing years later and giving us peace. You know what I think the most popular saying in heaven will be? I used to think I'll get up there and I'm really going to ask them, so why is the sky blue? Or 
you know, what was the deal with that girl? You know, what was the deal with that? And so I really do have this laundry list of questions that I want to ask God. Am I the only one? Just nod your head yes if you think that too. Okay, just making sure that you're with me. But when we get to heaven, you know what I think the most popular saying will be? I think it's going to be this. Aha! Now I see. I think there's going to be such a perspective change that all of a sudden we're going to look back on our life and not ask God, you know, crazy questions that we couldn't figure out. I think it's going to be, see, now I see what you were doing in my life. You know, Michelle, my wife and I, we, we've got many things we look back on our life that were tragedy at the moment, but then we've seen God use it. We would not choose to go through it again, but it's like on the other side of it, we, we can see the reality, we can see the perspective, and it's like, okay, God, I see what you were doing there. There's other things left in our life that, that we do not have that perspective yet, but it comes to major trust in God because, you know what, my life is his life. And something unique happens when you accept that my life belongs to him and and. And my life is just his. All of a sudden, you take God and you remove him from a compartment in your life and you just draw him right in. Because all of a sudden, when God isn't compartmentalized to either a day of your week or an hour of your day or, or even a place, maybe it's this place. When you, when you take God out of that compartment and put him in where he belongs to your whole life, then you get the perspective. Because now, when you, when you think of a job you're trying to get, when you think of the money you need, when you think of the girl or the guy you're trying to get, the future spouse, when you're thinking of, of maybe your, your spouse that you do have and you're in conflict, when you think of your family that's going on, when you think of all these decisions, all these relationships, all these choices we have to make. When we realize that God is our life, then we understand that God is in all of that. He becomes provider. He becomes the consoler. He becomes the reason. All of a sudden, when we take God out of the compartment, we realize that our life is his life. His life we realize that, you know what? I am not here trying to get over there so I can serve God. All of a sudden, I realized that, you know what? Okay, I'm in this job right now. I am praying of where God is going to lead me next. You know, or I'm in this relationship with this person now. I am praying where it's going to lead me. Maybe you're in school. You're praying, you know, God, what is your will? What, what class do I need to take next? What is my major going to be? Do I need to go to this school or that school? All of a sudden, you sit down and you have this great focus in this great shift of perspective that, you know what? God has strategically placed me right here. And all of a sudden, all the resources, all the emotions are all there because you understand, you know what? Maybe I'm in a great place, like Claiborne was saying. Maybe we came in on the mountaintop. And, and that's really the most easy time, you know, to say, I'm all in. You know, God is my whole life. 
But then when we come off the mountaintop, and it's a little bit more difficult, when we have that perspective of God, when he's not in a compartment somewhere in our life or our day, then we realize, you know what? He wants to use me right here. And sometimes the decision becomes so much clearer because then you realize, you know what? can't use me over here. I'm better right here where he placed me. Or you see, you know what? That's going to be tough, but I think God can use me over there. But it's all about God. It's what he wants to do in and through you, in and through me. Total shift of perspective of who God is in our life. I want to give you one next step for today, and it's basically changing your question. And I want to I clarify, I'm not saying asking God what is your will for my life is a bad question. It's a good question. I'm not saying, God, what's your plan for me is bad. Scripture has plenty of passages in there about people planning in their future. But what I'm asking you to do is to not think that all of a sudden you're looping God in to your decision. Because sometimes we only get to the question when we no longer have the answers. Life is a lot easier when you realize that your life is God's. Because you don't get to that point to where you think, mm, it's time to go to prayer. Because you were already there in the first place. And so here's, here's the question shift that I'm asking you to do. So for the next step, change your question from, God, what should I do with my life, to God, what should I do with your life that is in me? A simple shift. God, what should I do with your life that is in me? Because all of a sudden that puts your perspective and your focus on God. And it's a recognition of what he wants for you. And also you go to God a lot earlier in the process. In fact, once we are in that relationship with God and we, we no longer have a tension between relationship and commands like WikiHow, we've resolved that tension and we realize it's not about the commands, it's about the relationship and, and, and everything just flows out of that. When we've given God our life, then he's walking with us in the most mundane things throughout the day. And he wants to guide you through every step. One thing that I wish would happen when I had a decision before me is I wish I had what Moses had. Do you remember Moses when he was asked to go lead the Israelites out of captivity? Do you remember what he saw? Anybody remember? I'll give you an idea. It grew from the earth. It was set on fire and it never got consumed. The burning bush. Moses is walking up and he sees a bush. In my mind, it's about that tall. I don't know why. But it's just sitting there burning and it doesn't get consumed. And I'm thinking, that's what I need. When it's time for Milt to make a decision, God... You place a burning bush. That's the sign. I need a sign. I need something I can anchor on and know for sure. But when you go back and read what Moses did, Moses had the burning bush that I desire. And I'm guessing you probably desire it too. But you know what he did? He kept protesting God. God, I'm not so sure. I'm not that eloquent. 
God, I don't think so. And in Scripture, it shows us where twice he protested God. And on the second time he protested, he, he said, but God, who, how am I going to tell him about this? You know, how am I going to tell him who you are? You know, what do I, how are they going to know that it's you? And, and God says the most simplistic thing that is the most powerful thing ever. And first, if you read it close enough, go read. It's in Genesis. But go read the first thing he says is for Moses, but then the second thing he says is he basically repeats himself, it's for them. He says, Moses, I am who I am. And that's what he tells them. You go tell the Israelites, I am who I am because I am the great I am. And he just says, I am. So that's my question for you today. When you go and you ask God questions that are difficult, God, what should I do with your life that is in me? Because the great I am is walking with you and me every day. Let me pray. Father, I love you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to just shift our focus. Lord, when we allow our eyes, our heart, our mind to drift from who you are in our life. And Father, when we start drifting towards our own will and, and we forget about your will and we, we, we get to this tension between our relationship and your commands, Father, I pray that you would resolve that in us and remind us of who you are. And Father, I'm not surrendering my will to a God who has bad plans for me. Father, I'm surrendering my will to a God who loves me and has a plan, knows the plan, created the plan. And Father, I pray that you would help me to follow that. Thank you for being who you are. And Father, may I remember that my life is yours. And Father, we give you this day. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, everybody. I hope you have a great week.